Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Um, before we move into the message, I just wanted to reiterate, um, because obviously I won't be here next weekend because it is a daddy-daughter date. Not date, daddy-daughter camp. So my little beautiful Kayla and I, we will be out of here, which would be really good. It's just encourage you if you've got some um, daughter to come and join us. Um, but I won't be here, but I just wanted to actually bring to the attention to the church once again, um, try to do this via Facebook and also via email, that um, really feel like we need to go into a season of prayer. I've been feeling this for a while. And um, because we're in between seasons, um, for the last 15 months, we've been serving Kalamunda Church of Christ and... Um, Gee, she's a great church. She's an absolute beauty. And um, we've been very blessed to be able to pour out and um, see her um, be able to stand. And the time's coming shortly when um, they're going to actually have their own senior pastor and they're going to say, Dave, thanks for the memories, but we're good from here. Uh, <laughs> and that is precisely what we've wanted to happen. Um, the heart has been to actually go and serve and to bring the church to a place where they could actually walk and stand and start running on the journey and the path that God has for them, um, knowing that God has got amazing things in store for so many churches. So that puts us in a moment where a, a season is coming to an end, but that means that a season that is new will actually open up. And if you've been part of our, um, um, part of our, our story as Newspring, You'll know there's been some specific times where God's actually spoken about seasons. 2017 was one of the big ones where we actually birthed a brand new church called New Spring Church, which we're all blessed to be part of. Um, so that was the birthing of a brand new church. And what happened is that we spoke about it, we sensed, we felt, we prayed that God wanted to do something new. And we were really stepping out in faith um, that God would actually birth something brand new. He would birth a new church out of an old church. And on the 1st of January 2017, God actually did something that we didn't, we, we, we thought we, well, we were kind of hoping would happen, but literally on that Sunday morning, this place completely changed. There was a different atmosphere, there was like this different DNA, and God actually was faithful to what he said. Um, I remember at the end of 2019, in fact, I went back and listened to this message. Um, he changed the diet. Um, was a message, and I think it was in November in 2019, November 24, God spoke to me and says, I want you to announce a new season for New Spring Church. And November 24, 2019, there was an announcement that God has changed the diet when it comes to this church, which means that when God changes a diet, very similarly to the way that we change a diet for our children, there was a moment, there was a time when Kayla and Jackson, when they were just drinking milk, and from their perspective, the very next day, their diet changed. Not from Andrew and I's perspective, because we knew it was coming, because we're the parents, right? But from their perspective, they went from milk to this gluggy, solidy, and you could see their face, you know? You could see, you could, like the texture, the, like, like they, 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 they didn't know what it was. But in 2019, God spoke to me and says, like, son, like, don't you realize as the primary feeder, as the senior pastor, that I have changed the diet of New Spring Church? And he had. We were going through the Gospel of Mark and God was feeding us very differently. And that meant that we actually had different strength, that we were actually moving to a different season. And not surprisingly, literally only a couple of months, maybe a month and a half after that, God spoke to us and said, I want you to go and help Kalamunda 
Church of Christ. That was a brand new season. Well, now that we're coming to the end of that season and about to step into another season, guess what? We need to pray. We need to seek God. I have a sense that the season that's coming for this church, this is going to be significant for the next nine years. Andrew and I, we've been blessed and we've served here for the last nine years. And I feel that there's a moment right now where God is setting us up as a church for the next nine years. And when God speaks to me and when God says, I want you to actually start speaking about a new season, I'm just praying and hoping that the church is going to come along. Um, because oh, that, that, that's really the, the sentiment. And I, I'm just like laboring on this because I'm not going to be here next week. Maybe, um, maybe I can zoom in or something. I don't know. But, but um, that, that's kind of where we are. And, and the thing with seasons, you'll know individually as a family, but also collectively as a church, when you're in between seasons, they are moments of ambiguity, aren't they? There are moments where things aren't that clear. There are things where, you know, there is something new that is coming ahead, but I don't know precisely what that is. So there is ambiguity. And we as followers of Jesus Christ cannot be scared of ambiguity, but we must recognize that when we go into seasons and places that are ambiguous, very often God is actually asking us to step out in faith because a step after the one in ambiguity will be one of clarity. And that is what God is actually asking us to do. And I mentioned even in my email, just personally, like there are some different things which I could very well step into in the next season. Last year, um, as we were in Kalamunda, I felt God speak a lot of things to me. And one of the things that he said from the very get-go, he said, Dave, I'm taking you from Waffle to AFL. I can't play football, by the way. He was just... But he said this, this year is a year I'm stretching you and I'm going to take you from Waffle to AFL, but you're never going to return to Waffle. So that is something for us to understand and recognize. So prayer meetings, um, I've, I've called six of them. I don't want to intrude on our worship team. I think that time's precious. And I know God is actually doing something phenomenal with our youth at the moment. There are youth everywhere at the moment. So I don't want to actually interrupt what God's doing there. So Monday, Tuesday, Thursday for one week, and then next week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. If you're part of this church, no agenda, right? We're not one of those churches that comes to a prayer meeting trying to like sort of twist God's arms, say, God, you need to do... No, this church belongs to Him. So we're coming and saying, okay, God, we haven't got any agenda. What's your agenda? What is your plan? What is your purpose? Where do we put our feet next? And we're going to believe that God is actually going to set this church and posture this church for the next season. And um, it's going to be a pretty cool ride. Is that okay? Brilliant. All right. Cool. Well, with that, we're going to be in Matthew. So if you get your Bibles, we're going to um, um, get to Matthew chapter 5. Have you guys been in journey, uh, enjoying the Sermon on the Mount series? We missed a week because last week was Easter, and that was brilliant. I had a lot of fun um, being here. And Alistair um, spoke magnificently this morning. I got to listen on the, um, on the um, online service uh, message, and that was brilliant. So, Alistair, if you are listening, well done. Um, he is a phenomenal communicator. Um, but we're going to be um, talking about mercy, and the title of today's message is just Have Mercy. Turn to your neighbor and say, just have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. If you're married to someone, turn to your spouse. If you're a husband, turn to your wife and say, babe, you just need to have some mercy. You know what I'm saying? Have some mercy. I wonder if you asked a person, doesn't matter if they're a Christian or non-Christian, church or unchurch, I wonder if you asked anyone a particular question, what kind of response you would expect to get. And the question would be this, what do you think Jesus was all about? What do you think Jesus was all about? What do you think he, he talked about? What do you think he did? 
Um, ironically, um, over the last couple of weeks, I don't know why this has happened, but I've discovered in my Instagram account, I'm getting all of these random Instagram things. You know that search thing? You like search things, and all these people from all over the world are coming up, and um, they got these little videos, and some of them got dances, and there's music, and they point here, and they point there, and all that kind of stuff. It's like, how do you guys have so much time to actually, like, you seriously, there are so many in the world obviously have no job, you know what I'm saying? You got a lot of time in your hands. But, but there's all these um, people, these Instagram accounts, and they've been telling me what Jesus says and what Jesus is like all about. And, and, and like I'm reading, I'm reading this stuff, I'm looking at this stuff, and I'm t- quite intrigued with how some, some people are talking about what they're saying Jesus is saying while they're dancing and all that. And I'm like, wow, that's incredible. How do you speak and dance at the same time? And can you imagine if I did like a bit of, that just wouldn't go down well. <laughs> so I'm, I, I'm looking at this, and this has been going on for a couple of weeks and as I'm looking at it I'm like sort of like thinking to myself like I'm pretty sure that's not what Jesus is about in fact there's one guy who was talking about you know Jesus talked about hell more than anything else I'm like are you are you kidding me like you seriously need to come to New Spring Church and actually let's like teach some Bible because even when Jesus was talking about hell he was talking about something specific and actually later on we can go into that because he does talk about about, about the thing of hell so we can get into that but I was like thinking and looking at this stuff and I've been so exhausted by like listening to these people and the one thing I've sort of come to the conclusion of If you and I want to know what Jesus is about, please do not go to Instagram. (laughs) Do not go to Facebook. You know, there's people even doing clips of these preachers. I'm like, oh my God, are you serious? Oh, it's frustrating. Frustrations of a senior pastor. (laughs) But if you want to know what Jesus is actually about, what he's talking about, Probably don't go to Instagram because you may well start um, going down a, a pathway which is like just absolutely bogus. Fortunately for us, the Gospels are very, very clear of Jesus, what he taught, what he preached and what he was all about. And we've actually been reminding ourselves of this as we've been going through this series, Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 4 verse 17, starting um, from verse 17, says this, From then on, Jesus began to preach. You know when Matthew's saying he began to preach, that actually means that He began something that is continuing even till today. He is still preaching this, like even today. He began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. I'm I'm sorry. Jesus did not talk more about hell than anything else. He talked more about the kingdom of heaven than anything else. In fact, that was his message. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. The Gospels even go further to tell us precisely what Jesus was doing, not just what Jesus was saying, but what Jesus was doing. Matthew 4.23, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. And for our current series, The Sermon on the Mount, we're journeying through Matthew's account of Jesus' teaching and what Jesus was doing. And what Matthew is actually portraying succinctly in chapters 5 to 9, chapters 5 to 7, is a portion, a section of Scripture that lets us know this is what you would have expected to hear Jesus teach and Jesus preach. That's His teaching. 
From, from, from chapters 8 to 9, Matthew is actually showing us how, how Jesus acted, what he did, his healings and things like this. So Matthew's saying, this is what Jesus taught and this is what Jesus demonstrated. Now you need to figure out what you're going to do with that. But his message was the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven or um, the kingdom of God. Heaven's an interesting topic. We think that heaven's out there somewhere. Heaven is the space where God reigns. Heaven is the space where God's will is done. Thy will be done. We just prayed it, didn't we? We prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So heaven is literally a space, any space where the will of God, where the reign of God is happening right here, right now. It wouldn't make sense for Jesus to say, you need to pray this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On, uh, by the way, that's not going to happen right now. When he actually said, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. No, heaven is a space. It is, it is a space. It is, it, it, they are places where his will is done, where he is reigning. It should be a place right here, right now. This right here should be heaven on earth. We are the church of Jesus Christ. So Matthew is actually telling us when it comes to Jesus, this is what he preached, this is what he taught. And he's also letting us know this is what he did in chapters 8 and 9. And then he is probing us. He is provoking us. He is pushing us. And he is forcing us to answer the question, what are you going to do about Jesus? What are you going to do about it? And if we are Jesus people, and I am a Jesus person, but if we are Jesus people, then we need to understand that we are kingdom people who live under the reign of a good and rightful king. And having a king like Jesus and being part of the kingdom of God, it means that we are shaped in unique ways. We're just unique. We're peculiar. We're a little bit odd. We're a little bit weird. We do things a little bit differently. You know, we, 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 we go about a certain way, which is different. It was funny, I heard Jackson say something which well, like we used to say years ago, but I thought it was such a crack up. She said, he said this, it's just my scene, Dad, it's how I roll. It's like Jackson said that. <laughs> you know, if we're going to use that, this is like, we, we actually go, we roll a different way. We are shaped in unique ways, which means that we live in unique ways in this world. Who we are and our values, they determine the manner in which we live. A few weeks ago, Brett actually brought up this paradigm about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God being here right now, but the kingdom of God also um, being not yet. It's still arriving. It's been inaugurated. It hasn't been consummated. It's, it's here, but it's not right now. And, and I put up this scripture, um, not this scripture, this diagram um, two weeks ago. Um, if you can just chuck that up there, um, Ryan, um, just that picture, just to help us understand that where we are kind of placed, that, 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 that we have this world. It starts with creation. There's obviously the Christ. And, and last week, we actually celebrated the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? Great. Did you like dig into last week's message. That was really important to know that kind of stuff. Um, but also, at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, something new began. When Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, it makes sense, right? When he says, it is finished, something actually finished. And when something finishes, something new begins. This is what I'm talking about seasons. We're coming to the end of a season, which means a brand new season is about to begin. It just makes sense. 
It's not like Dave's ultra smart. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, but it just makes sense. And on Resurrection Sunday, the kingdom of God began. New creation began, right? So we as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't actually have to live in this, like, we're in this present evil age, but we are not dictated to by this present evil age because we are in this world, but we are living in a paradigm of the kingdom of God, Right? That's what we're doing right now. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned the idea that we are supposed to be temples of the Holy Spirit. And in ancient times, you could take that down now, right? But in ancient times, they understood what temples meant. When you went in and when you um, conquered a different region or a different empire, you would actually establish and you would build a temple. And what that temple did is that it was a declaration that our God just whooped your God's backside, Right? It was a monument to the victory of our God. But a temple is only complete when it actually had its image bearers of that God placed within the temple, right? An idol or a statue. So a temple is supposed to be a monument to the victory of God, but a temple is only complete when its image bearers are in position. And you have to ask the question, how are God's image bearers in position? What does that look like? It looks like the Sermon on the Mount. That's what it looks like. Like when we come to God and, and, and we give our life to Jesus Christ, what it means to actually be reflectors of His glory, to be image bearers of God, is that we are positioned and we are shaped in such a way that we are now reflecting the, the character of God, the justice of God, everything of God out into this world. And the way that we do that is shaped by being shaped by the Sermon on the Mount. It's almost like Tom Wright talks about this angled mirror, right? That when, before we come to God, we're like this kind of vertical mirror. And all you're reflecting into this world is your own brokenness. Could you imagine a world that only has brokenness reflected into it? Brokenness, 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 brokenness. But can you imagine a world full of image bearers of God where these mirrors are not vertical, they are now angled. And because you're an angled mirror, you are not reflecting your brokenness. You are now reflecting the glory, the goodness, the righteousness of God in this world. What do you think Hosea meant when he said, the whole world will be filled with his glory? The whole world is going to be filled with angled mirrors reflecting His glory. That's how it's going to happen. That's how it's going to happen. So with these two truths that we're living in this kingdom paradigm, right? That the kingdom of God is, is here, but not here as yet. And also that we're supposed to live as, uh, in, as temples of the Holy Spirit. This actually means that we're supposed to live in a unique, specific way in this world. We're supposed to live in a way that is called proleptic, a proleptic way. This is just a bit of a recap. And a proleptic kind of way of living means that we are supposed to anticipate and foreshadow the coming of the kingdom of God. So even though the kingdom of God is not here right now in fullness, we as the people of God live in such a way as to demonstrate this is what it looks like when Jesus comes and his kingdom is here in its fullness right here, right now. What an amazing opportunity we have as the church. And you may look around at the church and say, wait, wait, wait a minute, Dave. Throughout church history, the church has done this. The church has done that. The church has done that. The church has been responsible for that. And I agree, there have been moments in time where the church has not lived as an angled mirror we have lived like this, but God is calling us to live as angled mirrors, to be shaped by the Sermon on the Mount. So that is why we are going through the Sermon on the Mount. We are supposed to be a monument to the victory of God. Isn't that good? Victory of God. Sin is defeated, and so is death. You know? We don't labor too much on that. We need to start laboring more on that. 
I reckon if we start laboring more on death, we could start renewing our mind and we would start living in less fear in our lives. But it's a monument to that, complete with image bearers who were shaped in such a way that we reflect God's glory. And the way that we are shaped is by being shaped by the Sermon on the Mount. David L. Turner, a great scholar um, when it comes to the Gospel of Matthew, said this, The Beatitudes are not kingdom requirements laying down the conditions we must meet to enter it. Rather, they are blessings, promises made to those who have turned their lives around in response to Jesus' preaching of of repentance. The Beatitudes speak to those whose lives have been transformed by allegiance to Christ's reign. This transformation involves both internal character traits and relational activities. So these values, these virtues, they come about not because we're trying to do them. They come about by nature of who we are, that as we give our life to Christ, as Jesus is Lord of our life, that we come under the kingship of Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and brings about this process of sanctification where we start to embody these values, these beatitudes, these these things that that we've kind of been looking at. And um, that's what David L. Turner is actually saying. It's a beautiful thing. So today we're going to look at one of these blessings that seems to make a bit of a sudden shift. Um, Alice has spoke about it this morning. Um, But as I'm reading it, it's like, yeah, there seems to be a a bit of a sudden change of direction when it comes to this particular beatitude. We find in Matthew 5 verse 7, it says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Have mercy. There's a sudden shift because the first four Beatitudes seem to express in one way or another our dependence on God. Poverty of spirit, that's the starting place. If we're not honest with ourselves to actually recognize that we're bankrupt before God, um, I mean, that's the starting spot, you know, and that takes absolute brutal honesty. But then there's the idea of mourning, the idea of meekness, hungering and thirsting for God's justice. It's like these these first four Beatitudes, they're they're all about, I am absolutely stuffed. I'm so dependent. I am so in need of God. The next three seem to be an outworking of this dependence. And this outworking has an impact on the world. And don't get me wrong, there is still a need. When we're talking about mercy, we'll see that we still have a need to receive mercy. In fact, we can't possibly give mercy unless we first receive mercy. But, 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 but this, there's this idea that like of having mercy and showing mercy, there seems to be a shift in direction here. The first four Beatitudes look to God and the next three look towards man. There's a change in direction, which is happening. But as you see, as we go through this, two weeks ago, I I, I tried to unpack a little bit of um, the Beatitude, hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness. We're going to see that these next three that we're going to be talking about this week, next week, and the week after that, they kind of fall out of what it means to actually hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. Two weeks ago, we started looking at um, another inclusio or another bracket, which is in the Beatitudes. Um, And they're found in Matthew chapter 5, 
verse 6, and Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Let me just read them to you just quickly. Verse 6 says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Going down to verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And as we've mentioned almost every single week, because there seems to be this technique that Matthew uses where he employs this technique called an inclusio, which is pretty much a bracket. You have one bracket, you have some content, and you have another bracket. The purpose and the function of the inclusio or the bracket is to bring definition or clarity to what is in the middle. And as we've looked at this inclusio, which is about righteousness, what we find in the middle are people who are merciful, people who are pure of heart, and people who are peacemakers. So think about it. You've got this bracket, which is all about the righteousness, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And inside of this bracket are people who are merciful, people who are pure of heart, and people who are peacemakers. It seems that Matthew is actually talking about, or Jesus is teaching about, this is what it actually means to actually be hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And I said a couple of weeks ago, we need to remember that as Jesus is teaching this, he hasn't gone to the cross yet. We assume a lot of things when we read this. We assume the audience. Jesus is not talking to Christians. Okay? That changes everything. He's not talking to Christians. He's talking to this crowd, which is described very elaborately in Matthew chapter 4 on purpose for us. Right? He's not talking to Christians, and Paul has not encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus as yet, seeing him as the resurrected one, and he hasn't started outworking the resurrection of Christ, and he hasn't started outworking the Sermon on the Mount to the churches via his letters as yet. That hasn't happened yet. So when Jesus is talking about righteousness here, he's talking about something quite specific, and I think Tom Wright and you know, Tom Wright's really wrong, is he? But anyway, his rendering of this passage reads like this. Blessings on people who hunger and thirst for God's justice. You're going to be satisfied. We're talking about the justice of God. And people who hunger and thirst for God's justice are people who look like the merciful. People who look like those who are pure in heart, people who look like peacemakers. And again, go back to the temple analogy and go back to that image of an angled mirror or a bunch of angled mirrors inside of God's holy temple that we are supposed to reflect God's justice. What does it mean to reflect God's justice? It means that we are people who are merciful. It means that we are people who are pure of heart. It means that we are people who are not peacekeepers. We are peacemakers. They are two completely different things. Justice is an incredible kingdom tool. It's an incredible kingdom tool. In fact, there are two significant kingdom tools that are at our disposal um, for combating and pushing evil out of this world. The first one is justice, and the second one is called holiness. And you'll actually find those two tools, justice and holiness, they are actually thread throughout all of Jesus' teaching. In fact, he's speaking about this in the Beatitudes. To use an observation, um, because when we talk about holiness and justice, it seems that Christians tend to lean on one or the other. I don't know if you, you realize that. Tend to lean on one 
one or the other. So one observation that Joshua Ryan Butler um, has made, I'm reading a really cool book of his at the moment. It is just blowing my mind. Um, but he made this observation about justice and holiness. He said this, Some streams of Christianity emphasize personal morality. Don't sleep around, don't get wasted or steal from your boss, and you'll be all right. She'll be all right, mate. Other streams emphasize social justice. Feed the hungry, stop racism, and end poverty. Unfortunately, we often tend to separate these streams and overlook one or the other. Jesus confronts us by taking both streams and bringing them back together into a large, rushing, raging river. It is not one or the other, it is both. And as you look through those Beatitudes, what is Jesus addressing? He is addressing our morality. He's addressing holiness. But when we come to this portion, he is also addressing what it means to be a reflector or those who hunger and thirst for his justice in this world. There is justice and there is holiness. I think that if we were a church that would actually look at both of these tools and take them both in our grip, wow, we could see some incredible things happen. We could see some incredible things happen. And this is precisely what we read in, uh, about the value system that Jesus is talking about in the Beatitudes. Jesus does call us to both holiness and justice. Holiness involves dealing with the spark or the poison well or the root that is in our own hearts. Anyone have like a bit of poison in their heart? No? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Let me just remind you of that one. <laughs> um, Justice involves dealing with the wildfires, the raging rivers, and the wickedness which is out in the world. Holiness is about what's happening here. Justice is about looking out at the things that are not so right in the world. Holiness and justice are tools Jesus has given us to join his fight against the power of hell. These are inseparable pathways through which he calls us to follow. Together they are means by which the church proclaims its resurrected king and bears witness to his good kingdom that is coming soon to reconcile heaven and earth and redeem the world. And quite interestingly, the very first thing that Jesus speaks about when he says those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, which is an inclusio, the very first thing in this inclusio is blessed are the merciful for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Have you ever met a merciful person? Or have you ever met someone who's not very merciful? It might be easier to identify someone who doesn't have any mercy. <laughs> have you got someone's picture in your mind? Mercy is an action word. It's not a passive word. It's an action word. It's a really, really cool word. But it's a very challenging word as well. Mercy is a thing that concretes actions of love, compassion, grace um, to those who are oppressed, to those who have sinned. Mercy is a loving response prompted by the misery and helplessness of someone who is in desperate need of love. Have you ever encountered someone who's in desperate need of love? Jesus says that his approval comes to those who relate to others with not just having pity for someone by having a posture of pity plus action it's not just feeling sorry for someone you walk past someone or you see something or or something pulls your heartstring you say you know what that's really sad and then you walk on by no 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 mercy actually adds action to that feeling of sorrow when you look at someone if you look at situation 
Mercy goes beyond just a feeling. While grace will pardon the guilty, mercy relieves the miserable. It actually does something to help them in that. And mercy is defined as having a feeling of sorrow over someone's bad situation and trying to do something about it. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Now, this beatitude, um, together with the following two, and remember, we're talking about God's justice here. So this beatitude, if it's coupled with the other two, describes something about the inner character that is required for kingdom living. Those who are merciful and pure of heart will also be the ones that will seek to make peace in a world in which they live. And very interestingly, after Jesus is actually pronouncing these blessings and talking about these values, talking about these virtues, talking about what you can expect to see in, in my kingdom people, Jesus starts talking about salt and light, being salt and light, doesn't he? Back in the ancient world, salt was used for a couple of different things, but one thing that was primarily, primarily used for was actually preserving things. But the only way that salt could actually preserve anything is if you actually take salt out and you put it into the meat or the substance or whatever you're trying to preserve, isn't it? No use having salt in a salt shaker. You need to get it out of that salt shaker and put it into the stuff. So salt was only effective and salt was only useful when it was actually applied. But it's not just salt that we're supposed to do because we're supposed to be salt and light. And light is a contrast to darkness, isn't it? And the only way that light is ever going to be useful is if there is a, if it is placed and positioned into a place that is dark. There has to be a contrast. So the metaphor works like this. God's kingdom people are those who bring um, preservation to this world when we run into situations that are breaking down, not run away from them or not walk by them, but run into them, Right? coupled with being contrastingly different to the darkness of this present evil age. Because this is what happens, right? We want to be salt. So we run into a situation and we are salt, but we act like we're dark. No good. It's not going to work because you have to be salt and light. Right? Does that make sense? I know lots of people. You know, yeah, we're going to go out into the clubs and we're going to go into the pubs and, and all that. And all of a sudden you kind of say, wait a minute, you went into those places and all of a sudden you've lost your faith. Or all of a sudden you started acting like them. No, no, no. The idea is that the way that we actually bring preservation into this world, the way that we are salt and light is that we run into situations that are breaking down. We look into society and, uh, and we want to run into those places. But as we're running into those places, we keep our uniqueness as the people of God, as the kingdom of God, and we are still light. We do not turn our light off when we run in. That would be a good title of a message, wouldn't it? Don't turn your light off. Anyway, just thought about that. So, 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 so think about it. If we're supposed to be salt and light, okay? So Jesus talks about these Beatitudes. And as he's talking about these Beatitudes, he's talking about hungering and thirsting for God's justice. And he's breaking down a bit of what it means to actually reflect the justice of God. This is what mercy does. Mercy is a thing that runs into the places of brokenness. Mercy does not walk by. Mercy walks in. And mercy is really effective so long as you keep your light. But we'll teach about that in a couple of weeks' time. 
But mercy doesn't walk past. Mercy runs in. And because of this, because kingdom people, because followers of Jesus Christ, because we acknowledge that we are poor in spirit. Anyone poor in spirit? Is anyone absolutely stuffed before God, just bankrupt before God? Yeah, because we acknowledge we are poor in spirit, we have absolutely no problem. No problem at all. No issue with stooping into the mess and the distress that others have found themselves in so that we could administer love, grace, and compassion. We have no issue with that because we're poor in spirit, because we know we're poor in spirit. I have no problem knowing that that because I'm so poor in spirit, I have received mercy from God. I've received love from God. I've received grace from God. So I have no issue to actually stoop down into the mess that someone else finds them in because I know, you know what, I've been in a lot of mess myself. But so often we see people who are in a mess and we don't want to get down there because we've got a nice kicks on and we're going to get them dirty. You know what I'm saying? In a metaphoric kind of way. We don't want to go to places. We don't want to establish kingdom places because that place is too hard. Those people are too mean. Those things are too difficult. But mercy doesn't look at the world that way. Mercy has this genuine pity, this sorrow, and and move with action, move with compassion that actually doesn't just walk by or run past, but actually looks at the situation and says, you know what? I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to run in, and I'm still going to be light in there. That's what mercy does. Mercy runs into a place. That's why it's challenging. It runs into a place. And one of the great things about mercy is that mercy is actually a facet of God's character. It's a facet of God's justice. In fact, God has been so merciful to us, hasn't he? I'm so glad he still is merciful to us. Hebrews 2 verse 17 to 18 says this, Therefore it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. I'm so grateful, I'm so glad that Jesus is merciful. But if Jesus is merciful and he's given me mercy and I'm supposed to reflect his character and his justice in this world, It makes absolutely complete sense. I cannot get away from it. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you simply must have mercy. You can't get away from it. We see this world differently. See, this is what I mean. We have been shaped uniquely. We've been shaped peculiarly. We've been shaped in such a way that the rest of the world will look at a situation and say, I'm going to take that. I'm going to put that in a too hard basket. And we go to the two hard baskets of this world and we look through that and say, you know what, this is too hard for someone else, but this is not too hard for my God. I'm going to take that entire basket and I'm going to run into it. That's what we do as a people of God. Isn't that what we try to do as New Spring Church? That's what we try to do. We want to go into places of despair because we see places of darkness and despair as opportunities for God's kingdom to break in and break forth. Have we not been speaking about this? Because we want to be people who are merciful. Amen? Merciful. Listen to these um, beautiful Beatitudes, this kingdom living, as Jesus frames the rest of 
um, his sermon. In fact, as you read through the rest of um, Matthew's account, uh, his gospel, you'll actually see he will actually be uh, bringing reference back to the Beatitudes time and time and time again because the Beatitudes are the values of God's people. And from the values of God's people determines the way that we live in this world. Matthew 5 verse 43, see if this doesn't mess with you. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends his rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those, if, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you... Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This idea of mercy is thread throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. This idea of actually looking upon others and looking at them in a, particular, in a peculiar way, that we don't see the world and we don't see people groups and we don't see ethnic groups and we don't see regions of this world the way that the world sees regions of this world. We have eyes of compassion. We have a posture of like, God, let me in there. God, you need to get me in there somehow. I know that I am salt. I know that I'm not. If, if we don't get in there, God, they are not going to be preserved. If we don't get in there, God, God, that darkness is not going to be turned to light. Someone needs to go into that place of darkness and flip the switch. God, send me. I will go. I will be a merciful one. And as with all blessings, as we come to an end, because I could keep going on, but I'm running out of time. And as with all blessings, there is a promise. And this is a fantastic promise. I think it's a promise that we take for granted Far too, far too much. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. For they will be shown mercy. To the merciful is the promise of divine mercy on the day of judgment. That's kind of a big deal, right? <laughs> You know when it comes to like the day of the Lord, right? Imagine like coming to the day of the Lord and like you, you come to that moment where like, like in this moment right now, like I need divine mercy. And in that moment, it suddenly comes to you like Matthew 5, 7. It's like, oh, wait a minute. In order to receive divine mercy in this moment, I needed to be a person who administered mercy generously. I mean, you don't want to come to that day, do you? You don't want to come to that moment where you're like before the Lord is like, oh, wait, what, hold up. <laughs> wait a minute. Like, God, like, okay. So, Jesus, apparently you can do all things. All right. Do you reckon you could, like, sort of take back history a couple of decades? No, no, no. We don't need to have that experience with the Lord because we're kingdom people. And, like I said, when we give our lives to Christ and His beautiful Holy Spirit comes and shapes us and molds us, we start living according to different values. And one of those values is a posture of mercy. And mercy is that value. Mercy is that thing that causes us to run into situations.
Mercy is the thing. that made that good Samaritan have a trip that was interrupted. It was love that interrupt, interrupted his trip. Jesus on the course to heal Jairus' daughter. She's dying. But he stops, gets interrupted, and he's looking around and finds this terrified, lost woman who touched his robe. And he just had to stop. And he had to look and he had to find her just so that he could commend her on her faith. People who have a posture of mercy get interrupted all the time. Because love interrupts. So as we're in 2021... As we step into Monday tomorrow. And as we remember once again that we are not to become merciful people, but we already are merciful people. That we are people that by very nature of our relationship with God and the way that he's formed and transformed us and continues to form and transform us. We look at opportunities, we look at places of darkness, we look at places that are breaking down, we look at families that are breaking apart, and we look at the things that just seem so unpleasant. And instead of walking by, instead of saying that isn't a too hard basket, we run into those places eagerly, enthusiastically, knowing that we go with God, knowing that we bear responsibility to bring thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, knowing that God has equipped us not just with holiness in one hand, but we also have justice in the other hand. And as we hold both of these tools, as we hold both of these things, as we run into places, that evil and that darkness is literally pushed out. These are tools of the trade for followers of Jesus. So I pray that this year you would have so many interruptions. I pray that your heart would be pulled in so many different directions. I pray that you would have the wisdom to know which ones to throw yourself into absolutely just 100%. But I pray that you would run into broken places that others have simply walked past and others have simply ignored. I pray that you would run in and you would say, I will be salt in this situation. I will be light in this situation. I will see the kingdom of God break into this situation. I will be a feisty Christian in this situation. I will put my trust in God in this situation. And I believe in Jesus' name, this situation will turn around. I pray that for you. And I pray that for me. Scott McKnight says this, We who live in the in-between time of God's kingdom being announced through the life, ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus and the coming of God's kingdom in its fullness at the end of the age are called to live as citizens of the kingdom of God here and now. To be people of this countercultural, upside-down, blessed life of divine justice. We do this by reaching out to the oppressed, Offering comfort to the depressed, feeding the hungry, clothing those who do not have enough and providing wells for those who thirst for clean water. We look at this world so differently. We see opportunities in this world. We do not believe that there is anything that is in a too hard basket because we believe our God is greater and he is mightier and we are part of his kingdom and his kingdom is unshakable. 
and we run. Not away, we run in. And we see this world changed. Amen. Does that make sense? Let me pray for you because I'm all out of time. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your challenge. I thank you for just even that mindset, some of that imagery of actually being angled mirrors, reflecting your justice in this world, Lord, your goodness. Father, I pray that as we go through these next couple of weeks, as today we've talked about being merciful, as we start talking about being pure of heart next week and the week after, being peace, um, peacemakers, God. Father, that we would actually have just a well-rounded understanding of what it means to actually hold your justice in one hand. And Father, I pray that you continue to shape us, you continue to um, convict us, you continue to um, call us to out of darkness into light so that we would live lives that are more holy before you. That the sins that entrap us, the things that hold us back, the things that we keep on clinging to, that we would let go of those things and we would run to you and live a life of more freedom in your kingdom and in your name we pray. Father, we ask that this church, as we step into this new season, you will bring clarity. That we will be a church of justice. That we will be a church of holiness. And we will be a church that runs with mercy in this world, Lord, that we would see your kingdom break in to the darkest regions of this state, we ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.